Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Our guest today is Kevin Olau of Carve. Listen as we discuss his musical influences, the music around him as he was growing up, and his new album, Just a Dream. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you've been around the music scene in Southern Illinois for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, did you grow up around here? I grew up uh, uh, 30 miles or so northwest of Carbondale on a farm outside of Willisville, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. I'm originally from Duquoin, so not far oh, off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we would have our uh, solo ensemble contest over there. I remember yeah. walking the halls of Duquoin oh, yeah. quite often. Yeah. I was there every time. Nice. Um, so growing up, was there a lot of music in your household? Um, my dad played saxophone and, um, so actually the saxophone that I run around and play with the jewels now, that's his saxophone technically, but I'm, I'm never going to give it back. It's, he, he can't have it anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he used to play, uh, well, he had a big band that he would play with and, uh, Actually, like I mentioned earlier, the drummer for the Jewels, uh, his dad and my dad used to play drums and sax in a band like 30 years before we did. That's a uh, really cool through point. Yeah, it's like uh, kind of funny because I didn't know that right away, really. I knew they'd played music together, but yeah, just the fact that it lined up like so perfectly with drums yeah. and sax, and then here we are again. Um, <laughs> but like I would go, uh, by the time I was a kid, like he was playing with the Chester Community Band. And so we would go over there to concerts and stuff like that. And it was just kind of cool to watch everybody play. There was a trombone player over there who was always really cool, DJ, uh, DJ Kennedy. He's a really good uh, trombone player over in Chester. And uh, it was just kind of inspiring to see artists and stuff like that when you are just a kid on a farm and then you got this new stuff to look at and it looks fun. And so was there, your dad played saxophone. Mm -hmm. Was there music... Uh, you know, more popular music around in the house? Like, what, what kind of music did you grow up listening to? When I was a kid, it was mostly just, like, the radio a lot of times. And a lot of times in at that time, it was, like, country radio. With like, I barely remember uh, at this time. I know uh, we talked about the Oak Ridge Boys, because uh, uh, you'll be having them in here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think yeah, Elvira and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I remember that from my childhood. Um other specific artists, I'm not really sure. I haven't kept up with it, but probably like Clint Black. And oh, yeah. Who knows what else was around in that era. So a lot of country music. Yeah. And then you landed um, coming. You you mentioned uh, solo ensemble competition. So junior high, high school, you played an instrument as well? Yeah, started uh, in fifth grade uh, playing saxophone because, you know, I liked my dad's saxophone. I thought that was cool. So I got started doing that and really started enjoying it right from the get-go. So just... Uh, I dug in pretty hard, and then by eighth grade, my band director asked if anybody could play tenor saxophone. So that's when I started playing my dad's saxophone. And actually, that first summer that I was playing it, it slipped off of my neck strap while we were doing marching band, and it hit the pavement oh, um, no. outside the school and put a big dent in the bell. Luckily, there was a, a really good technician in Carterville at the time who was able to fix it up and get it back to perfect. But I learned my lesson to be pretty careful with that thing. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and now I've been playing it for a good while. Awesome. So, played in high school, and after high school, what did you do? Um, um, after high school, I decided to go study 
saxophone performance at SIU, which wasn't like a great idea out of the bat necessarily because they didn't have a super good saxophone teacher there at the time. They didn't actually have a full-time saxophone teacher. But it was it was close, and, and I could get there, and I could do it. So um, I was lucky. Within a short amount of time, we got a really, really good teacher from Eastman Conservatory, Dr. Todd Raywalt, and he was the one who really instilled into me music theory and scales and all these technical practices and stuff like that um, and really pushed us to go very hard. I even went so hard as to go to a, a Les Domaines Forger, this very fancy band camp outside of Quebec City in Canada, and uh, studied with uh, Jean-Marie Landay. He was like the greatest classical saxophone player in the world. Uh, he was about 80 at the time, roughly, something like that. But he only spoke French. I only spoke English. And uh, Tableau de Provence was the piece I was playing at the time. And uh, I played it, and I was, you know, young and mostly technical. I didn't have a whole lot of feeling to it, but then he kind of like, he would just jump off to the side and be like, "No, no, no!" And then he's and he's like dancing around, trying to get me to get the light feeling, you know, like a butterfly flying around the room or something like that. But it takes so much time to get all that technical stuff out of the way to where you can just really experience that. But it was a neat experience to not be able to speak to each other actually, but still get so much out of it. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And then. Obviously, the, the music was the language that, that spoke between you. and Yeah. Another great experience like that was with the SIU Wind Ensemble, uh, of which we, we lost our great leader at that time recently, Mike Haynes. He was the director of bands at SIU for a long time. I had the great honor of, of playing a, a concertina with uh, the SIU Wind Ensemble, backing me up on his retirement concert at Shryock. And that was, oh, that's that was wonderful. an amazing honor. Um, but the SIU Wind Ensemble got to play with a... a a Russian orchestra at one time when we were on tour in England. And so we played the 1812 overture sitting next to people we couldn't speak to. And there was like smoke machines going off and there was uh, um, oh, like bagpipes. There was a bagpipe player that came out and like opened the concert. He like walked out and played this thing. I was like, it was cooler than I would have expected to have some bagpipe player come out and do this thing. But it was, it was really neat. Nice. Uh, yeah. Music is really neat in that it offers a lot of wide, uh, wide variety of experiences. Yeah. Well, and there's always, there's always something that you don't expect coming with music. It seems that way. Yeah. 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 I would have never expected to be sitting here with you and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Uh, so, so obviously that your time with Professor Raywalt and your time in Quebec mm -hmm. really solidified uh, you as a musician and as a technician musically. It really got the ball rolling, yeah, to understand um, how music is constructed. Like, that really, like, to back up a little bit, when I was 16, a buddy of mine told me how to make major and minor chords on the piano. So I was like, okay, that's very cool. Now I can sit down and figure out these chords and sing along with it because I really got into singing in high school as well. And so once I got to know Dr. Raywalt, it was uh, really just pushing into that music theory more and more to figure out like, okay, why does this sound like this? Why does this sound like this? And then getting all these different genres. And that helped me to learn a bunch of different instruments as well. Cause it's like, well, okay, I understand these intervals. So if I put my finger here on the guitar, then it's going to be this note for my finger here. It's going to be this note. And then, then just go through the long process of refining your technique over years and years and you get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so what all instruments do you play at this point? Um, because uh, you've mentioned saxophone, you've mentioned guitar. Whenever we were speaking earlier, you mentioned a Rhodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's the keys, um, uh, woodwinds, uh, saxophone, cl flute, clarinet, um, no double reeds. Those are like 
whoever invented the double reeds so long ago, I was like, holy cow, he really could have refined those, uh, <laughs> those fingerings a little bit better before putting that instrument out. But they like it, and it sounds good. So, um, But drums, bass, uh, guitar, um, brass a little bit. I probably wouldn't play brass live, but I can use some brass stuff on recordings and things like that, and I can teach brass and whatnot. Um, got my great-grandfather's violin recently fixed up. And uh, just kind of getting started there because uh, the bowed strings are one of the areas that I never really had an opportunity to mess with. But in the last year, I got that fixed up. So now I have this really old family heirloom that I can try to learn how to play violin on. That's awesome. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, the majority of the traditional bluegrass and folk violinists, fiddle players, if you will, are completely untrained formally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so so much of the violin is about ear and and you know finger placement yeah i i've got a lot of confidence in you <laughs> if i can get that that technique down of that bow going across that string to create that good sound i'll figure it out but, yeah yeah just like just take some time in it it really does yeah but yeah i'll get there so after college mm-hmm. um what did you do after college where did you go what did you well, what direction did you take from there? See, I, I didn't really take a typical direction from there just because, like, from the from a really young age, I had a really strong group of friends, about 10 of us or so, and the gravity of those friendships was very heavy. Uh, so it, it kept me from running off and going to grad school or anything like that. That never really pulled to me too heavily. But that group of friends that I had, like, by the time we were in high school, we were doing all kinds of goofy stuff. We've made somewhere between like 30 and 50 movies, even as recently as a couple of years ago. Uh, it's just something we always enjoyed doing. Uh, it, our relationship really I guess, started around sports, playing baseball in a friend's backyard. And uh, it just kind of morphed from there to making movies. And we even had a professional wrestling league, which was more performance than it was physical, like mm-hmm. uh, very theatrical, very comedic. We all had our own theme songs, outfits. We would uh, advertise it as like Friday Night Dynamite and Sunday, Bl- Sunday Bloody Sunday, and we were the FWL, the Freelance Wrestling League. And we would just put out flyers at school. And like there was times, we were just in a hayloft. We had made ropes and a mat and all this kind of stuff, and we'd film it every single time, and we'd review our work. I mean, we were <laughs> we were something. Uh, we stayed very busy with that. But uh, we had over 100 fans up there at one time. And we were on the local news several times, like Channel 3, Channel 12, in the local papers. Uh, there's a story among our group where one of the teachers tried to uh, shut us down for a while because uh, <laughs> it was too dangerous or something. I'm not sure. But uh, that's still fun to reminisce about with yeah. the boys for sure. And it sounds like even from from that age, you were really dedicated to the craft of something to creating something yeah. like and collaborating. Yeah. Like we found that so easily. It really occupied our minds because growing up outside of Willisville, it's a pretty small community and there's not a ton of stuff to do out there. So for a young group of guys to be able to keep themselves busy in this way, was a really a gift. Yeah. Um, and so the, the gravity of knowing the joy of that, I really wanted to seek that a lot. So at a point around 19 or 20, like in college, just out of high school kind of area, uh, where our professional wrestling days were wrapping up, you know, uh, we decided to start a band. So that's when our we went from sports to the, all this entertainment stuff, and now we're all the way to a band. And so we had to teach some of our friends how to play instruments so we could actually do this. So that's kind of when I started learning guitar because it was like I can write a line, and if I can figure out how to play on, on guitar, I can teach it to you. And then we were going. So we had uh, we had a full band. We practiced like three or four times a week because we were just 
crazy. We just loved our friendship and we loved to be together and collaborate. So that got a hold of me. Band life got a hold of me. And so we just kept going from there. Um, and that's kind of what led me on the trajectory to be where I am, really, I'd say. So what was the name of that band? Uh, that band that really got going for us was Clean Ray. And yeah, it was a, we had four songwriters in it, roughly. Like, so, I mean, like we were all, you know, pitching in what we could, but we, there wasn't a cohesive thing to it. We were kind of all over the map. Yeah. Um, as you are at that age. Yeah, for sure. Cause yeah. you're still just trying to like touch on things and figure out what it is you like and what you can do and mm-hmm. what you might fail at. But mm-hmm. yeah. The failure is the beautiful part. It's not bad. Yeah. It can yeah. be embarrassing sometimes, but it's it helps embarrassing, you grow. but you learn so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but from that, like then not everybody was as committed to music as me. Like I was doing the music major thing and all that kind of stuff. So people ended up going off on their uh, different lives, uh, through school work and relationships and stuff like that. So I ended up starting different bands and joining different bands. And, uh, it's, I, I've played in, uh, more than 30 bands in Carbondale now, something like wow. that. Like as far as like I played saxophone with a lot of groups and, uh, just sitting in a different aspects. I was a drummer for the Black 40s and the Young Loves. Like, that was a, a fun period. Like, 24 to 26-ish, somewhere in there, it took a couple of years where I stopped reading music altogether and just played the saxophone, just going over all those scales in my head, going out to figure out the colors, changing this note here, changing that note here, and figuring out the, the freedom of being able to improvise and, uh, and being better at composing and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it was around 26 or so when the Black 40s got started. And so that's when I was doing a lot of drumming and doing some arranging for the band and then like even writing for strings and horns and having them come in and record for us uh, or with us. And um, yeah, just kept going. I don't know. It's just like the collaboration and being with people playing music is one of the greatest joys in existence. So yeah. to share that, to be able to experience it and then to share it with people. I'll do that as much as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So right now, what bands are you playing with? Uh, the Jewels is the jazz trio that I've had going for a long, long time. Uh, well, a long, long time, like a, a decade or a little bit more. Uh, but we play out around Carbondale quite a bit. We've got a big show coming up at the Varsity on August 6th where we'll have uh, special guests, uh, vocalists. Uh, Union County Sal is going to come sing some songs with us. Tall Paul is going to come sing a couple songs with us. And we've got our special guest guitarist, Joe Palermo, uh, so yeah, that'll be August 6th at the varsity theater starting at 7 PM. And I'm pretty pumped about that. That's what I'm working on right now, but I'm here today because of carve the new album I put out, uh, three weeks ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, that was a project that started just because I record in my house a lot, like having mm-hmm. learned all the instruments and after that, then trying to figure out how to record and be an engineer and figure out how these mics work and what am I doing with these knobs? That takes a, a long time as well. Daunting, yeah. daunting process. So being a music major in the acoustic music world, that was far from where my head was at. So that took a long time to get the hang of as well. But the idea of being able to play all these instruments, put everything together, so it's like some of the songs on the album might start as a, a keyboard thing or a guitar thing, and then just kind of like building it from there piece by piece. And there's some that start with uh, with some ambient noise from the studio, and yeah. and it kind of gets you... It, it sets a tone for the piece before you even get into it, and that's really cool, too. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, so that was going to be one of my first questions mm-hmm. about that album. 
is did you were you did you record all the instruments yourself or did anybody come and play with you on that one in the, in studio in the studio it was all me except i had one performer uh who's my partner's little sister um she's like she's there's a big age gap there uh between her and her sister but her little sister is like eight now so it's like this tiny little voice that says uh this is just a dream uh over over my track uh, just a dream like so it, it it worked out really well that i just happened to have everything set up and she was hanging out with us for a week and uh i asked her if she wanted to try singing over this track so she just threw on the headphones stood up to the mic and started singing along with the thing and she just happened to nail that line and i was like okay that's gonna stick and, so, and that's a really cool aspect and like point at the, towards the end of that of that uh track is hearing that voice come over the top Mm-hmm. It is a real contrast to everything that's happening in the song. Yeah, and and having that that counterpoint to the feel of the rest of the song to come over the top of it there at the end adds a beautiful tone to it. Thanks. Um, almost an eeriness mm-hmm. with how much of a contrast it is. It feels a little eerie to me. Yeah, it's meant to like be a slightly unsettling. I it's guess exactly what it is. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah, man. That's. So with the songs on your most recent album with Carve, uh, how was the song writing process for you? Spread out. Because it was like, it was 2020, you know, during the height of the pandemic, I guess, you know, when we weren't hanging out with people and doing a lot of stuff. Um, So Max put together, Max Max Centeni, Mm -hmm. River to River. Yes, he yep. put together River to River and started, you know, you know, getting the ball rolling on that. And uh, they did two records before me, um, Banjo Joe, they mm-hmm. dropped that record, and uh, Sad Max also dropped one. And um, it was just, it was 2020, he asked me at that time if I, if I had anything that I was working on. And I, and I did, I had a whole computer full of stuff that I'd been working on, so it was like, it was nice to have him come in and, and ask and then put a limitation on it where we're going to do a seven inch. So it's going to be roughly seven minutes on each side. So it's like, okay, that's cool. How can you fill seven minutes on each side of this record? So I started thinking about it and these four songs just happened to come together in my mind. I was just like, okay, that seems really good. Kind of get the order down. They weren't all totally finished at that time. Um, but a lot of them had, had a lot of progress. Um, so once I got the idea together for like, okay, I know what songs I can use for this, then I just went through and started like filling them out. But uh, basically I'm always writing and always recording since I'm, I'm able to do that now. And uh, I've got a lot more stuff that I'm working through now and trying to figure out what the next record will be and going through and tightening these things. So how does, a, how does a song start for you? What's your, what's a, does your process change based on what the inspiration for the song is? Or is, is it, for you, is it, lyrics or title first or is it a melody line first or rhythm or what what do you build from um it's different a lot of times like um, most often probably like i improvise a lot on instruments so like uh, some stuff i'm working on for the jewels now happened because i was playing the upright bass and i happened upon this line that i was like okay i got stuck on this this is good i like the way this feels so then i record that to my phone and i save that idea and then when i have time to put it into the computer. Okay, I've already had 
by the time I put it into the computer, I've already had time to think about it. I know this bass line. I know what it feels like. I have an idea what the drums want to do. Like, and I'm already excited about it. Like, mm -hmm. So it's just the matter of like, okay, when is the time that I actually sit down and put this track in and start working on it? Um, but yeah, I'll probably lay down the bass. I'll put down the drums and then I'm not sure what I'll do after that. Maybe I'll put down some keys for some chords or something like that. Or maybe I'll figure out what the saxophone line might be. Um, but it's kind of open and, and it can change from day to day and depending on what direction it wants to go. So let's talk about um, Just a Dream. Mm -hmm. What did that song originate from? Started with the this the electric guitar part that's the do 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 it's just a little finger picking thing. And uh that's where it started. And then it was just like trying to get that feel. Um I was I was filling out the arrangement first to understand what the feel of the song was. So I think the second thing I put down was bass or drums, one of the two. And um from there, it started taking shape, but that's, I think, when I started putting some of the ambient stuff in. Mm -hmm. Because before, before sitting in and trying to figure out what the vocal is, I wanted it to feel right. Because then I'd be able to figure out, okay, what's, what is supposed to be here? What is this feeling? What are we doing? So I think it was all just like that layering. And then once it felt right with the drums and bass and the guitar and the ambient stuff, then you could throw the vocals on and then... Once those are in, then you can decorate around that with like the piano lines or these other guitar lines that are coming in and stuff like that. So it's always kind of like trying to create the bed to lay in, get an idea what the feel is, and then starting to decorate around it, more or less. It's almost like building a painting. You do in your way, base. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and then you lay in your feature subject. Yep. And then you start into the detail. Yep. To what really brings it to life. That with the with the record, this that's mostly what happened. There are some songs though that will start with like an idea. I just start singing in my head, uh, like a, a vocal line or something like that, and then I'll have that going, and then I'll build it backwards from that. But uh, it's there's probably less less uh, often that it happens like that. There's one song I wanted to ask you about that that feels that way to me. Yeah, which is Quando. Mm -hmm. And so what was the process on Quando like? Because that one feels much more lyrically driven than the rest of the songs. It actually, um, it actually still, it, it started as an instrumental track and it sat that way for a long time um, because it's just these three guitar parts. Um, and so on my computer, it was saved as beautiful guitar. That was it. And it was just, you know, this little loop that lasted whatever, a minute and a half, two minutes. And... And then when, when I think it was after Max asked if I had stuff to work on, and I was like, okay, I think I want to use this for the last part. I think it was after that that I wanted to like put this, those little words on it. But I just did match them up straight to the guitar part that was the melody uh, already of the guitar trio, if you will. And then um, I Am With You, mm -hmm. which you've recently released a video of through River to River Community Records. Yep. Um, how did that song come about? That that one came together in a moment, really. Like I do have a recording on my phone of that, and it's not the exact same. Um, but I was just sitting on my back porch. I had a friend who happened to be off in another part of the country doing something that was really important to them. And uh, so it was like you couldn't be there, and but you wanted to be there and, and to have that support. So, and just like the mystical way we think about life sometimes, I try to send 
positive vibes. You know, it's like you might, whatever it is, if you think you can share love from a distance, that's basically what it is. So I am with you. Like if I can be there and meditate in this thought strongly enough, can you feel that? Um, that was the idea. So I sat on my porch and I played that song and I have a recording of it. And then it stuck with me and I really liked it. And then that's when I took it, started putting things into the computer, start with the guitar, put the, I can't remember what I did next. I know I did the drums like last because I was just like, I wasn't going to have drums on it for the longest time, but then it was just like, I don't know, let's see what it, what happens. And I really liked how that turned out. Yeah, they fill in a really nice space in the song too. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it was a, just an unexpected uh, addition at the end really. But yeah. yeah. I've, I've struggled with this album to figure out, actually I've struggled because I like it mm-hmm. as, a, as a complete album so much yeah. that I, there's no song that's a favorite for me. Cool. Uh, I like that. In for the last two episodes, uh, Carve has provided the soundtrack, uh, as well as this episode. Quando is the soundtrack on this episode, nice. and and then there will be two more episodes that that Carve is providing the soundtrack for as well. And of the of the tracks that that we've that we're looking at for it, I keep going through all the tracks, and I can't I can't find one that's just that stands out for me above the rest because they're they're also unique, but there's a there's a connecting point to them that really makes them a complete album mm-hmm. with the four, and and so I I struggle to find anything that I can say. Well, that's my favorite because of this. Like I love yeah. the message of "I am with you." Mm-hmm. I love with um, just a dream. I love that you're intentionally making the listener feel something mm-hmm. and that it's working so well. I appreciate it. Um, and so there's something on all of them that, that just ties in and, and I, I just love the album as a whole. Thank you. Um, and the album's available everywhere streaming. Yeah. And then Plaza records and Carbondale has physical copies. Yep. Um, is there anywhere online that people could order a physical copy? Um, Bandcamp, I think, or maybe check River to River uh, Community Records. Okay. Um, they might have a link for it. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'll I'll look for that, um, and whenever I find one, I'll drop that link into the description as well. Um, we appreciate it. So, with with Quando, where did the lyric come from for that? Well, I had something I wanted to say but I didn't want to just spit it out in English. So it's like, I don't know that my grammar is correct on any of this and it could be terrible. But as far as the experience um, of creating it, when can I see you again? Right? So it's like, that's what, that's what it means. Like, and, and I just went through Google and I was like, when? Translate to Spanish, cuando? And I did that with each of the individual words. So does the actual phrase make sense? I really don't know. And I hope that's not offensive to anybody um, because it's just an experience that I wanted to, to have and share. But when can I see you again? And I didn't just want to say it that, that simply and so clear. I want it to be a feeling, right? Um, and after the pandemic, because I mean, this really was like, you know, the pandemic when I was working through I Am With You and decorating and stuff like that. And, and to what a great track to work on in that moment because mm-hmm. you really were so disconnected from, from very much. Um, and then when can I see you again? Just very much. 
the same way. Like, when can I see you again, please? Like, like, so that's, that's the feeling on that. And it felt like such a good tag to the end of the record because it's like, we've had this experience together and now we come to this and it's like fading out saying, let's do this again, more or less. Like, that's awesome. I, 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 I never took the time. I don't understand much in Spanish other than, you know, takeout menus, (laughs) but, uh, but I, I love that. And, and the more that I talk to you about the, the record, the more positivity comes out um, and the more of that feeling comes out um, in the meaning behind everything. Uh, even, you know, looking at just a dream where it, it leaves you feeling unsettled, but the lyric while you're feeling unsettled is it's just a dream and, and it provides that balance there. And so I, I think it's a really great album the way that you've crafted it in that way. Thanks. And uh, to share a little of Just a Dream, I, that that to me is just like, maybe we shouldn't take this physical reality as seriously as we do. Like, can we just be a little lighter about it? Like, it, it, what if this is just a dream? Some people say it's the idea of a simulation, but if you step into, like, simulation seems so cheap, right? Like, if we step back from that and we think like we're a consciousness or some kind of universal consciousness or a spirit or however you want to think about that, religiously or spiritually, and now we have this physical manifestation with which to operate in. But let's do it with peace in our hearts. This is just a dream. Let's share it. Yeah. That's great, man. Thanks. Kevin, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure and an honor. for providing the soundtrack for this podcast for a few weeks for us. We're so happy that you would consider even using it so well thank you. I, it's it's such cool unique music uh i'm i was thrilled to be able to um and so and we haven't really talked about as a podcast we haven't really talked about our switch to to using local artists mm-hmm. um because we initially whenever we started the podcast we had some generic stuff pulled from a royalty free site online that that we paid for but yeah. nonetheless it's generic right and um our producer, AJ, or associate producer, AJ Rice, uh, who is our arts administration intern at the Marion Cultural and Civics Center this summer, mm-hmm. he was like, hey, why don't we use local musicians for all the soundtracks? And I was like, that's a fantastic idea, man. I agree. Um, and I was like, we feature a different track every week and, you know, change out artists every few weeks. And, yeah. And it was just such a great idea to make this even more relevant to the local art scene. Yeah. And I, and I have to attribute that to AJ because, because that's not my idea, but it was a brilliant idea. And so I'm so glad that we did it. And, in, and that brought us to connecting with you, which is another great point in this. So, um, well, thanks. I know the local art scene appreciates any light that can be shined on it because it, it really is a beautiful thing and you've got a lot to pull from, which we is do. awesome. We do. We've got tons to pull from and, um, and, like the episode that it's that it started with for us um was jeremy todd um because mm-hmm. he was here he had just dropped a new album and i'd reached out to him and we were just going to do an interview about the album yeah and then after we recorded the podcast aj was like hey reach out to him and see if we can use his music i was yeah. like that's perfect yeah yeah man. so thank you so much for providing the soundtrack for us being part of this and for your time today absolutely um Everybody check out his album. Um, I've listened to it on Spotify, but it's everywhere. Um, and there will be a link in the comments for a vinyl, a seven-inch vinyl. Yep. The artwork on that vinyl is beautiful. Thanks. Um, and so 
we look forward to more from you. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, featuring local artists, artisans, musicians, arts organizations, and arts events in Southern Illinois, as well as touring artists coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to Kevin Olau for speaking with us today. Thanks to A.J. Rice, our associate producer. And special thanks to Carr for providing this episode's soundtrack. Join us every morning for a new episode on Facebook, YouTube, or whatever audio podcast service you prefer. And now for Quando by Carve in its entirety. <laughs>